Today is Vision Sunday. This is gonna be, it's different. We usually do annual vision and prayer, which is, takes place um, somewhere else on a different night, because, um, you know, Sunday mornings, to me, are, are a place that the word, the, uh, uh, the word of God has to be preached, and um, there's a place where God's kind of like, what, what you show up with in a room needs to be, there's space for that to breathe and move and let the Spirit do it do what the Spirit of God wants and needs to do. And so this is gonna feel different. It it felt really different for me first service because usually at AVP we just like jump into the data, we jump into the like what's going on, all this other stuff. But I really feel like I need to um, start with like kind of like a sermonette. So I'll do that and then I'll move into like where we're at as a church. That's where we're kind of headed today. Um, So what I'd like to do is I'd like to start with some silence. So if you could, Put your feet on, the, feet on the ground, open up your hands to God, and let's just take a few moments of like breath and prayer and silence and ask the Spirit of God to search us and know us. I want you to think of that passage of scripture in Proverbs 29, 18 that says, without vision the people perish. Or as Eugene Peterson translated that, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Meaning without creative vision for a collective life together and a way to live into that life, we wander and waste ourselves to the point of spoiling what we are collectively meant for, especially God's people. So in your own words right now, would you just say something like, God, give me, give us a vision collectively and show me my unique contribution to that vision. Jesus, I I submit to you my mind and my, my body, spirit, and I pray that you would use me as a vessel today to communicate to your church, Jesus, and that you would shape us and form us, not according to our timeline or even our agenda, but yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, um, I introduced my daughter, Juniper, to the song Ice Ice Baby for the very first time <laughs> by Vanilla Ice, if you know the song from the 90s. And I was, as I was playing the song on the way to her preschool, Um, I looked in the rearview mirror to see her face as she heard this song for the very first time, and her face looked like a mixture of uh, confusion and fear, was I I would would use to describe. She was so intently locked into the song, it was really weird. And um, and as as we were listening to the song together, it struck me as I was um, mouthing every single word perfectly under my breath that there are things that were once things in life that are no longer things. There are phrases that we use, that we used back then, that we don't use anymore, like word to your mother. No one says that anymore. <laughs> and Junie said that. I'm like, no, we don't say that. No one says that anymore, Junie. So just so you know that no one says that anymore. And um, there were clothing styles, like, well, like Vanilla Ice. If you know who he is, it's a picture of who he is and how he dressed. Um, that's not a thing anymore. It shouldn't ever have been a thing. But uh, that's not a thing anymore either. Uh, Obviously, the word, of course, for all of this is a fad. Fads come in all shapes and sizes. There are fad diets and fad songs and 
fad clothing and fad toys and fad trends and fad restaurants. There's fad everything. Things that were once popular but were short-lived because they had no lasting quality. Now, there is a sense that the things we do as a church could never be a fad because the church of Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus said this way, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But there is another sense that churches of all shapes and sizes can be very vulnerable to fads because the church is made up of people. And people love the next cool or popular thing. We are formed and groomed from infancy as people in the West to be consumers, to use something and to be into something for a time only to discard it and move on to the next shiny thing once we're done with that other thing. And churches, even Christianity, is not immune to being a fad on one level. I say all that because today is Vision Sunday. And it's critical to repeat and recast who we are and what we are doing here, both to guard against the fad mentality. We don't want to become vanilla ice, you know, in three years. (laughs) But also in the words of Eugene Peterson, so we don't stumble all over ourselves. What I'm trying to do today, what we as the elders and what we as the staff are trying to do today is to lay out a vision for where we're at and where we're going. So I wanna frame today in two movements. One is I wanna root us in the big picture and I wanna name where we're at in the story. Root us in the big picture, like let's look broadly, what is a church, what are we doing here? And name where we're at in that story. So first to root us in the big picture, you have your Bibles open to Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Now, Colossians 1, 28 and 29 has been a verse, like probably many pastors, like a life verse, something that when I was a pastor in Bakersfield, I committed to memory and said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Now, the context here is that the Apostle Paul is describing his ministry, and he describes his ministry as making known the mystery that has been hidden for ages but is now revealed in Christ, a mystery that no one knew before, but Jesus Christ revealed this mystery, and Paul's ministry is to carry on teaching and talking about this mystery, and he tells you what the mystery is. The mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That is the mystery no one saw coming, that God himself would take on flesh and blood and then take up residence in our own lives, making us, making you and I, the temple of the living God. Like if you understand temple theology in the Old Testament, this statement is mind-blowing, that God himself, the living God, who not only spoke things into existence but keeps speaking things into existence, would live inside of your body like he lived inside the, the, in the temple of the Old Testament, that the glory of God that, no, that everyone was hiding from lives in you. That is a mystery, and the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's our text, the next, very next verse. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. If you have a physical Bible, underline that, strenuously contend. To this end, to bring people into full maturity, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, this text assumes a few things I like to call your attention to. If I'm gonna root us into the big picture of what we're here doing as a church, there's a few things that this text assumes that are very important to the life of our church. First, this text assumes a purpose. This text assumes a goal, a telos, 
a destination, an ultimate meaning, uh, where we're all headed. This text assumes a goal. It assumes the purpose of the Christian life. It assumes the purpose of the way of Jesus, and it is this, to be fully mature. This is the purpose. This is why we're all here. Paul says that he proclaims Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone so that, and that's the purpose, so that, here's the reason, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This text assumes there's a goal in all of this, church activity and congregational drama and Sunday school and all the stuff that we do as a church, there's a goal to all of it. And the goal is that Christ would be fully matured in you, fully formed in you, that we would be like Christ, that we would act and react like Christ, that we would follow the way of Jesus to the point where following the way of Jesus would come naturally, automatically, that we would become Christ-like. Where turning the other cheek and being generous, if someone asks you to go one mile, you go two. If someone curses you, you don't have to curse back, you bless. When someone does evil to you, you don't do evil back, you do good. All of that flows from your life automatically, naturally. Now, let me give you an illustration of this, because you're like, wait, wait, wait. How is this even a thing? Is this possible? Um, It would be like if I was trying to teach you how to drive. If I was teaching you how to, like right now, by the way, all of my illustrations are just my daughter, because that's all I've been doing for the last two months, (laughs) just with Juniper. So I I do what my dad does often um, with Junie, is my dad used to put me on his lap and let me drive the, the, the truck, the pickup truck, the little Toyota pickup truck with a you know, primer tailgate. Um, I've been doing that with Junie. I just like put her on my lap and let her drive. Now, I don't let her drive around the city. Just like pulling our driveway or up, up our street to make it you to pull the car in to, to move the car when it's street sweeping or something like that. Like, Junie, you want to drive? Like, yeah, she gets in my lap. And I'm finding myself telling her all the things she has to do when she drives. And I'm like, this is a lot of stuff. You have to do a lot of stuff when you're driving. Okay, look up. Okay, glance. Glance at this mirror. Glance at that mirror. Glance at this mirror. Watch this turn signal here. Okay, watch the steering wheel. Okay, when you turn the steering wheel, kind of let it go lightly. It's power steering. So I'm like telling her how to do all this stuff. And she's, she's, only, she's only using her arms. She's not even using her legs yet. I'm not like, okay, brake and then gas and brake and gas and this. And plug in your phone. And Google Maps will tell you to go this way. But it's probably wrong because they're typically wrong. It's actually this way to get there. That sort of thing. That's not even that. And I do all of that naturally. Driving is fully formed in me. It's automatic. It's natural. I react and respond intuitively to driving. I get into a car, my car, and I know exactly what I'm doing. I know where the bumper ends, and, and I know how, how much to turn the steering wheel for this. I know where I'm glancing. I know when I'm driving. I'm always looking at the, the crosswalk to see how much time I have to get the light. Anyone else? 15, 14, 13. I can get this light. I got the, everyone just goes. I can get this light. All intuitively. No one, I don't tell myself, it's just in my body. I'm a fully, now I have my moments, but I'm a fully formed driver. It's in me. In the same way, I, as a driver, get to my telos more times than not. It's in my body. I can get home. I get in my car and I can get home. I get to the goal. Or I can get to church or I get to where I'm going. I can get to, it's into the, into the telos because it's in my body. In the same way, the telos, the goal of this local congregation is to proclaim Christ and his sufficiency for life in the kingdom of God to the point where Christ is fully formed in us to where the teachings of Jesus 
are lived out in our lives naturally, automatically, to where we live the way of Jesus and Christ-likeness, the Christ-like character flows from our lives. Our money and our greed, our sexuality, our lust, our anger, our pride, our work and our rest, all these things align to the way of Jesus to the point where our motivation isn't even self-serving. It's not like you do something like, oh my gosh, I am so generous. You don't even think about it. It's just natural. You don't think about how good of a driver you are. You're like, just drive. It's like you begin to do this stuff, you're like, it just flows out of you, and the motivation is life. It's just life in the kingdom. Now, who is there? No one from first service either. <laughs> no one is there. Paul himself wasn't even there. He said, I'm not having a tame. I still keep pressing on. No one is there. That's the point. That's why there's this. That's why there's church. Even this church is really messy, complex. I went down the rabbit hole. I was going to talk about how complex our church was, but then I got depressed, and so I just took that out of my sermon. Like, there's a, it's so complex. A church of our size and the city is so complex. All of the complexity, the, all of it comes down to this. We're all here because we want to be formed into the image of Christ. And we believe Jesus does this in the local church, and then this is expressed out to the church in the city as being the body of Christ, where we act like Jesus has a body to the city, this is the way it works. That's the purpose, that's the goal of this, that Christ would be formed in us. And the hope of maturity in the Christian life is a lot like the hope of watching children mature. You want children to grow up, we want children in our children's ministry to grow up, we want children as neighbor, people that live on our street, in our apartment, we want these kids to grow to maturity so they can become creative participants in human society. A mature follower of Jesus is to become creative participant in the inbreaking kingdom of God. That's the whole point. To live lives of witness and service and justice and healing for the sake of the world. This text assumes a purpose, and that purpose is maturity. But this text also assumes a process. This text assumes we're on a journey. That this text assumes there is a spiritual formation, meaning it assumes that you're not there. It assumes that nobody is there. We're not fully mature, that, that Christ is not fully formed in us, but we're on the way. Paul says here that he proclaims Christ by admonishing and teaching the way of Jesus so that we can become mature, meaning we're not there, that you and I have to do things to learn, things to correct. There's gaps to fill. It assumes a journey. It assumes a process. But the other thing that this text assumes is that there are things that must be done in order to move us along in this process. You don't just become a Christian and all of a sudden the process is done for you automatically. It's not like I'm becoming more like Christ just by breathing. That's not how it works. There's things that need to be done to you and for you and with you to move you on to maturity in Christ. Again, another illustration. My daughter turned three during my paternity leave. And I heard a saying, um, you've heard of the saying, terrible twos, right? Well, the real saying is whoever came up with terrible twos never had a three-year-old. That's the real saying. And throughout Juniper being two years old, I was bracing myself throughout the year knowing that parenting was about to get terrible, but it never came. And I started to think, maybe we're just that good at it. <laughs> but no, three years old. She's awesome and amazing and sweet. But there, is the, there are things, like 
It brought me to reading all these books on child development and prayer and therapy and dependence on God. And that's not hyperbole. That's not sermon speak. Those are literal things I'm doing right now. (laughs) What I'm learning is that there are things I can and must be doing, Ashley and I, with our child for development to bring her into maturity. It's not only possible, it's necessary. In the same way, there are things that can and must be done in your development, in my development, as followers of Jesus to bring us into maturity. And not only is this possible, you're like, is this even possible? Not only is it possible, it's necessary. Which is why Paul uses the words admonish and teach. Admonish is, that word means to warn or rebuke false narratives to rebuke wrong actions and wrong patterns, basically telling you where not to go and what not to do. We don't like this. We don't like being rebuked. We like therapy. Now, nothing against therapy. I have a therapist. Therapy is a super important part of the journey. But therapists don't often rebuke you. You're not with your therapist. and are like, I'm gonna rebuke you right now. You're like, well, I pay you way too much to rebuke me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need you to tell me like how how like this is everyone goes through this and like I'm not that special and then you're with me. I need that stuff. I don't need to be rebuked. We need rebuking. We need people to say the way that you're thinking about this thing does not align with the way of Jesus. Full stop. We need this. This is a part of our development. Because we're such a very therapeutic culture and we don't want to think that we know something and we're the end-all, be-all, we don't want to rebuke each other. But this is a very much a part of how pastors pastor people and how people and leaders engage with people. This is just a part of it. Do people make mistakes in rebuking? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's supposed to be done in love and in humility. Now, usually those two things aren't done. And that's just a whole other process of how to repair that thing. It doesn't take away that, that admonishment is a part of the process. But the other part of the process is teaching. And teaching is a word meaning to inform and to form in the way that, that you should go. This is the way Jesus sees this. This is the way, the way of Jesus, this is how we act as the, as the body of Christ. It's teaching. This text assumes a process, a journey, a spiritual formation. Lastly, and this is my favorite, this text assumes a struggle. Paul says, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, meaning I've used up all my energy and I need some energy from Christ. And he literally has done this. He's used up all his energy and he needs Christ to carry him in his weakness because he's expended all of his energy to see people come to full maturity in Jesus. This text assumes that this is not going to be easy. This text assumes that we have to contend for maturity. We have to contend to be fully, that Christ be fully formed in us, which means maturity and the journey towards full maturity in Christ will not be easy. This will not be easy. Not for pastors and leaders helping people onto full maturity, not for anyone else as they move towards full maturity. The contention is real, the fight is real, the law of entropy is always at work, pulling us from what we value, who we want to become, and what we really want to be doing. And the struggle to keep Christ in the center of our lives is just that. It's a struggle. Contention. But I'll tell you, it's worth the fight. We will have to contend for some of the things as a church living in this city. 
If we wanna become full mature followers of Jesus, really holding the radical middle of justice and orthodoxy, how we pour ourselves out for the life of this city, but hold true to what, what the way of Jesus is, that will take so much contention. That will be so difficult to stay in this space, but we have to do it. We have to do it. Getting spiritual practices in your life will feel like having to contend for it. Rebuilding commitment to community after COVID will feel like we have to contend for it. Serving with your time when it's way easier to just give money towards something will feel like you have to contend for it. The things I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about on, on how we're gonna, how, where we're moving in the life of this church, we have to contend for these things. They will not come easy. We'll have to contend for them. I have to contend for them. So this text assumes a purpose, full maturity. It assumes a process, spiritual formation, and assumes a struggle, a good fight. That's the big picture I wanna root us all in. Our hope for you as a congregation is that you would be fully mature in Christ, that we would, we would together be in a process of spiritual formation towards Christ-likeness, and that you and I realize that it won't be easy, especially in a city like San Francisco. Now, I wanna name where we're at in the story. And what I mean by this is, uh, to, to continue the driving metaphor, I wanna drop a pin where we're at. Where are we at in this whole thing? I'm about to drop a pin. So, where are we at in the story? To do that, I want to just real quick reflect back to old normal, 2020. Early 2020. <laughs> I don't wanna trigger anyone by doing this little exercise, but I think it's important. If you're part of our church, January 2020, January and February, unless there's a storm, is always the best weather in San Francisco. I love it, because everywhere else is freezing cold and it's just not here, except for last week. But other than that, <laughs> so nice. January 2020, if you remember, it was actually a really nice month. I taught a short series that took months to prepare for, years of promise I said I would do, and it's a series I loved teaching and I, I could not wait to unpack for the rest of the year and beyond. It was a series on renewal. I talk about seeking renewal. That's a part of our vision statement, a community following Jesus, seeking renewal. What does the seeking renewal in our city look like? I taught about what it means to join God in renewal. God's always about bringing about renewal. It's us joining God in, in his renewal. How, and then we talked about how do we bring cultural renewal? How do we, in places, and, and a faithful presence in a place to bring about cultural renewal. And we talked about being rooted in a place to bring about renewal. And we talked about discipleship and our discipleship to Jesus bringing about renewal in our own lives that, that, that like a good system pours renewal out in the life of the city. And I honestly thought the teachings were rather good. I went back and read them this last week. I was like, wow, pre-pandemic, I was crushing it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but I forgot all about it. I literally read them like, I, I taught this? I don't remember any of this at all. Because right after I taught it, we hit a global pandemic. And it was like, I, we had all these plans and all these ways we were gonna do this and be this as a community, and it got hijacked. Or did it? See, here's the thing about spiritual formation. You don't control your own formation. There are things that you can do to show up to your own formation, but you don't control it. God is always conspiring with what's going on in your life to bring about your formation. And the same way, we don't control renewal. So looking back, it was kind of silly for me to think I was going to be the one to lead our church through this huge renewal campaign, and we as a church were gonna be the ones to bring renewal in San Francisco. I thought it was us bringing renewal out there, but what God was up to these last two years was bringing renewal in here. There's been a huge renewal process in the life of our church. 
There was a prophecy that was given in 2020 at the beginning. We had a 10-year anniversary, and we had like I think three or four annual vision and prayers at, at where we started the church at the Swedish American Hall. And one of the prophecies that kept on coming up night after night after night was new wine, new wineskins, new wine, new wineskins. God's gonna bring renewal, new wine into new wineskins, Lord, into new wineskins, Lord, into new wineskins, Lord. And we are like, yes, 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 but we had no idea what the new wineskin was. Now looking back, oh, we get it. We get the new wineskin thing. God brings about renewal in the church, and it's his renewal. It's the project of God, not us going, this is how we're gonna engineer. So today, I wanna talk about where we're going as a church, but I'm not gonna talk about our plans as much as what God is doing that we're trying to say yes to. So if I was to drop a pin on where we're at, here's where we're at. I said this quote two years ago. We will either align ourselves to God's renewal or we will become the biggest obstacle to the renewal God is bringing. We will either align ourselves to God's renewal or we will become the biggest obstacle to the renewal God is bringing. And so if I was to drop a pen I, and I was to say where we're at as a church community, I'd say we're trying to align ourselves to God's renewal of our church. There's a renewal process going on in life for our church and we're trying to align ourselves to this renewal process. We're trying to say yes to God's renewal. So what does that mean? Five things. The last three will be quicker. The first two will be a little bit longer, just so you know. Also, if you have to eat your child in like you know, 50, 20 minutes, go ahead and fill the, get up, grab them, bring them back in here. We kind of fed them donuts and threw them into a kid's classroom for a longer Sunday than normal. So it's, or if you don't want to grab them, I totally get that too. So <laughs> five things. One, here's what, here's what we, we believe God is bringing renewal. He's renewing our desire for rootedness. I'm going to say them all and then I'm going to go through them. Ro- rooting our desire for rootedness, renewing our, des- our devotion to community, renewing our, our, our pursuit of the stuff of the spirit, Renewing our commitment to the rule of life, our way of life together, and renewing our need for organizational health. This is what God is up to, we believe in life for our church. So first, renewing our desire for rudeness. Rudeness has been a drum that we've been banging for years. I explicitly taught on this concept in 2016 through the year, in the year of biblical literacy. I said, rudeness is a value of, uh, an official value of our church that you would stay rooted. You transient bunch of San Franciscans, stay rooted somewhere. Hopefully it's here, but somewhere stay rooted. And then I taught in 2020, I taught on faithful presence. I said that people in a place matters for the sake of the gospel. People in a place, God becoming flesh in a specific location, taking on flesh and blood is important to our theology. Us embodying the presence of God, incarnating the gospel, and so to speak, incarnational ministry is important to bring renewal in a city. I use this quote from James Davison Hunter to change the world. For the Christian, if there is a possibility for human flourishing in a world such as ours, it begins when God's world, word of love becomes flesh in us, it embodied in us, is enacted through us, and in doing so, a trust is forged between the word spoken and the reality to which it speaks. What he means by that is by saying, can the city trust the church to be there? Or are you guys just a bunch of words? Where are you anyways? Where is the church? Can we see you? Can we show up where you're gathering? Can we see your your expression of, of shalom and justice? Can we see it? Or is it just words? Physicality matters, even in a digital place like San Francisco. To the words we speak, 
A trust is forged between the word spoken and the reality to which it speaks, to the words we speak and the realities to which we, the church, point. In all, here it is, presence and place matter decisively. Presence and place matter. And then 2020 hit. And this was the test. People had every excuse to move away and stay away from San Francisco. The city was less than perfect and more than expensive during lockdown. And yet, people, tons of people stayed and then moved back because they moved away and they're like, oh, no, that's not it. I'm moving back. Our survey, our alternate survey in 2020 and 2021 showed that more and more people committed to root in San Francisco than any time before that. It was like this, this like test. Are you really here or really not? The data shows that we have become more of a rooted church, people staying in San Francisco and saying I've committed to San Francisco, people staying at our church and participating and giving in our church. Now, people did move away. A lot, a lot of people moved away. But you didn't. Many people didn't. I mean, there's a whole room full of people. A majority didn't. And what it seems like what happened was if someone was going to move away in five years, they moved away in one. And for those that were on the fence about staying rooted here during the pandemic, it let them know, I'm, no, I'm in. I'm in on this or I'm not. And the other side of that, and the most miraculous thing that I still trip out about every single day, is that on the other side of a pandemic, God brought us into an actual building. We own a building in San Francisco, church. That is beautiful. That's, it's, it's, it seems silly, to be honest. It seems like you can't even say it out loud because it's like, is that really a thing? We have roots, we have actual roots, presence in place in this city, which is prophetic for us because the pandemic allowed everyone to be rootless and work and be anywhere. You can do your thing from anywhere. Place didn't matter as much at all. And to come out having a building out of that moment is a move of God to say place does matter and I want you, Reality San Francisco, my church, here in this location. And I want people to know that you're there. And I want you to be the body of Christ there in this place at this time. So the first thing that we're going to do, we're gonna be renovating our entire church over the next few years. We're renovating it so it just isn't just this building, but it's actually a place where healing takes place and learning takes place. And I mean, there's, again, we'll do a series on it later. But we're starting with the plaza. We're starting with the front door of our church, this gated off area in the front. We're starting there because we want the plaza of our church to be a neighborhood stoop, a park, a place of beauty that's accessible to anyone. Uh, uh, that space right there we would use to host, to serve, to allow people a place to think and to pray, a place for mission and outreach. That is the hope. That's what we want that to be. And so last year we asked at the end of the year, we just did a, almost like a, not a, it felt like a quick announcement. I just did an announcement on a Sunday in December. We're trying to raise a million dollars to redo the plaza. And I felt silly asking for that because I'm like, it's gonna be a bummer when I tell the church that we didn't get come close to that. But of course, we raised more than that for the plaza. So thank you so much for giving towards that. We raised over a million dollars to redo the plaza, which is what we'll be doing um, in the next, um, in the coming months. And what I did was I sat down 
with uh, the architect, our lead architect for our building and the lead, the lead um, uh, landscape architect for the plaza to ask them uh, what they see in that space, how they're, how they're seeing it. And I also, I've been learning some of the things in architecture, these two men studied um, church sacred architecture, and um, what I've learned from both of them is um, sometimes you have, to, you have to hear someone repeat back why you're there in a place, and they've been doing that over and over. Why, is it, why do physical churches belong in cities? What is the his- history around having a plaza or having a building? What is the history around the church speaking? And all that stuff, I geek out on all that stuff and love all of that stuff. And so part of this is, would you just educate our church in some of this as well? And so here is a video of an interview with um, the, the, the architects. Yeah, we're really thrilled on the possibilities of bringing beauty, um, accessible beauty, uh, sacred beauty, um, creating a liminal space between, uh, almost like this thin space between the sanctuary, which we kind of see as a, a hot spot for what God is up to and what God is doing, and the neighborhood and this like middle space to, to meet um, our city in the middle. So uh, next, um, I wanna talk about community. Now, our, our, and like I said, the first two are kind of long, and then the rest ones are, are not as long, but our, our, we're renewing our devotion to community, and that word devotion is intentionally um, chosen because in the book of Acts, they devoted themselves to one another. Um, and so, let me give you some real data from our survey. 50% of people, when we were asked you, you know, do you feel stifled to cultivate intimacy with God online? 50% of you said yes when we did online church. And what that means, what that tells us is that online church kind of worked 50-50, right? It worked for 50% of the people and 50% of it kind of really didn't work. Um, but when we asked you the question, is it um, being in person was way better in your connection with God, 90% of you said yes. And that's real. Uh, we know the medicine. Coming out of pandemic, we know we need each other. We need to be renewing our devotion to one another, embodied presence, we need this. And so there's a few things that I wanna spend time talking about with community, because this is a big one. This is actually a huge shift in the life of our, our communities. We're in a big rebuilding season for our community at our church. Rebuilding our community culture, and rebuilding our community structure, and rebuilding our staff, our community staff. Rebuilding what community means in our church, um, and the reason why we're doing that is because we kind of made the mistake before of equating community with community groups. So are you in community in our church means are you in a community group? And it's in the name, and we kind of did that to ourselves. What it kept us from seeing is the community is actually all around us. And this is what we need to turn the corner on together as a church. We need to expand our vision of community and our view of community from just groups to the whole variety of things here from worshiping beside one another, serving alongside one another, meeting at a Sunday social or on all the organic forms community happens when we just exchange numbers or exchange social things and we just meet early for church the next morning, that sort of thing. And this is what we're after. We're after something bigger than community groups. We're after community creating tight-knit, Christ-honoring community marked by love and joy, committed to one another. Now, how are we going to get there? Now, it's gonna take some rebuilding of our community structure. We're gonna do this in a few ways, a few things. First, we're gonna be relaunching Welcome to Reality that we used to do like five years ago. 
We're relaunching it. Actually, I think next week we're relaunching it. A space to welcome newer people in the life of our church, to meet people. Sometimes the, the, the best way to get journeying alongside someone is, is meeting someone on the same journey as you. So when you meet new folks, I'm new, oh, I'm new, and let's start this journey together. So Welcome to Reality creates this space to get to know the people, also creates space to get to know the staff and the life of the church. We're also, we've been launching socials all over the place, not social media, but actual physical, real socials. And these are happening now on Sundays. We're also shifting community into our building, community, what we formerly call community groups, community into our building. Starting in May, we will have community night at our church for open for our, our whole church. Something we've actually been thinking about for a few years now, but never had an opportunity because we didn't have a building. We're gonna start something called Community Night where we'll bring community under one roof for a season for the sake of unity and setting new culture for a rooted and established church in our new building. We know this will localize some of our community ministry to San Francisco for a season, but we think this is necessary if we're going to really bring renewal to our small groups, formerly called CGs, but our small groups, which means this. Along with these new community structures, we're gonna be revamping and renewing all our groups. We're gonna be, in the meantime, developing leaders to lead groups focused on discipleship and equipping them thoroughly and guiding groups when we relaunch. This will unfold throughout the year. What we, but before I get into that, let me talk about the staff really quick. We're gonna be rebuilding our community staff. Um, in a second, Dale's gonna come up here, Dale Gustafson, he's, today's his last day. I'll talk about that more in a second. Um, we'll need to hire a new executive director. This will take time. This will affect our pace of ministry and staffing resources for the next few months. Along with, there, along with this, there's a lot of people on our community staff that is ready for a sabbatical. We encourage sabbaticals every seven years, and we made a lot of hires seven years ago. So there are a lot due, and they're needed, especially after pandemic. New hires are needed to tool up for rebuilding some of the other forthcoming elements of community, like leadership cohort and groups 2.0 and that sort of thing. By rebuilding our community staff, we can also rebuild our group ministry with fresh legs and renewed passion. In view of these three ways we're rebuilding our community structure and our staff, we actually need to, right now, strip back and prioritize rebuilding in unity. Which brings me to some hard news, but truthful. We think it's time for a fallow season to continue this organic metaphor, a fallow season, a winter season, so that we can prep the ground for new growth to come. So we're going to be fallowing all of our existing community groups in their form after Easter. We want everyone who can participate, uh, who is a part of a community group, especially if your community group is healthy, to communicate and participate in community night. Now, not to say you guys can't organically keep meeting together, you guys totally can, but twice a month we'll have community nights here and we would love to infuse community nights with the culture of healthy groups. So for some groups that are not so healthy, you're like, okay, community nights, okay, great, let's just reboot. Other groups that are really healthy, you're like, I'm not going to community night, but we need both. We need people to heal and we need to be infused with like a group of people that like know each other and like can give us a vision for what community groups can be. So we want everyone to participate in these nights. These nights, we're gonna be, actually, we're gonna put a lot of effort into them to make them very communal and very worth your time. We will launch group ministry again, God willing, this year. 
And we will be emphasizing these groups as spaces for discipleship, spaces where we can become fully mature, places that have more seasonality to them so it doesn't feel like community group is forever. But they're seasons. They're accessible to everyone. Anyone can sign up for a group. Their leaders are equipped and they feel like encouraged and, and, and they, they, like it's sustainable ministry. We will launch group ministry again. In light of this, what I wanna do is I wanna honor and bless our community group leaders and coaches. So if you are a community group leader and coach, would you raise your hand in here right now? We wanna bless you and say thank you for your service. A lot, a lot of you. Thank you. Kind of all around. Thanks. Now, I'll say this. We, uh, this last year, our church, we've always said community groups are the lifeblood of our church. That hasn't changed. We just need a blood transfusion. They are still the lifeblood of our church, and they will be. We desperately need, especially after pandemic, to rewrite how do we do this in the complexity of our church now. That's what we're doing. Now, for some of you leaders, your group is not super healthy and you're really exhausted, or maybe it is healthy and you're really exhausted, and then we say this and you're like, thank you. If someone told me right now, take two years off of pastoring after pandemic, or take a year off of pastoring after pandemic, I'd be like, thank you. God bless you, thank you. Um, so maybe for some of you it's a blessing. For others of you, you're in your stride and you're like really, really sad, and I completely understand that as well. And again, like I'm saying, these, this is not, um, goodbye, but see you later. Not to be cliche, but that's exactly what it is. We will be rebuilding. Now, here are the, a, a few clear invitations for you. If you're newer to our church, this is the ways that you can say yes to this rebuilding, this renewal that God's doing, we feel like. If you're newer to our church, please come to Welcome to Reality. Second thing is, no matter who you are, Come to our men's, women's, Sunday socials that happen multiple times each month to start showing up to them, especially if you've been in the church for a while. while. And you're probably thinking, I don't need to go to those things. I've been in the church. I, I don't need to meet any new people in San Francisco. I, and I completely get that feeling, but this is not meeting new people in San Francisco. This is your church. And so just get to know new folks. Get to know their stories. If you are currently in a CG, go through the season end practicing guide starting the week of March 6th. And everyone, we invite you all to come to community tonight in May. This should be um, really, really fun. Uh, the the, the quote-unquote old school word fellowship is gonna be, it's gonna be real. It's gonna be good. Um, so our hope is that we expand our view of community. Um, let's together create a tight-knit, Christ-honoring community is marked by love and joy. And sometimes you need to hit a hard reset button. And in some ways, that hard reset button was, is pushed for us. And other times, you have to put your hand on it and push it yourself. It's been a hard thing to do. Very hard, but we believe this is, this is the renewal that God wants to bring for, for, to set us up for our future. The next one is renewing our pursuit of the stuff of the Spirit. We did a Holy Spirit series and prayer and prophecy before pandemic and really pressing into the prophetic as a church and stepping out in faith and praying for one another spontaneously and it was awesome and we loved it and then feel like that kind of stuff was happening but a little bit more digitally and not as potent and you have to be around that stuff and enculturated to that stuff to really get that stuff and so... We wanna click back into it. We wanna build faith in our church. So we're gonna open a prayer room on April 5th on Tuesday mornings in our church. We're gonna start doing prayer and prophecy worship nights on Sunday nights coming soon. Not, not every Sunday night, but some Sunday nights throughout this year. So we're really clicking into the stuff of the Spirit. And next, we're renewing our commitment to our rule of life, our way of life. Um, in COVID, this was like a lifeline to us. 
things like bread and fasting and, and the podcast that we're putting out to help you just be alone with God because we were all just alone anyway. But we really need this, cultivate this contemplative spirituality. This is something that we can carry with us. No matter where you go in the world, whether you move there or you travel there, when, when we as a church, as a church community, carry the spiritual disciplines in our body, we can carry our union with God anywhere we go. We believe that the ways that we're gonna be, and our logo, we talked about this, our logo kind of shows this, our, our church logo. We believe that these are the ways that we live in our digital age rooted in the way of Jesus. Things like prayer and Sabbath and fasting and scripture and community and work or vocation, hospitality and generosity. These are the things that we're committing to together. And lastly, we're renewing our need for a healthy organization. Four years ago, at Annual Vision and Prayer, Dale Gustafson was just about to come on staff at our church. He was just about to sign the dotted line. We were still courting each other, so to speak, and we invited him to Annual Vision and Prayer at the, um, at the Jazz Center in Hayes Valley. And he came there and he heard the presentation where we said, we, are, we need to get organizationally healthy. We were in a season of, of building our church. Our church is built. We need a season of establishing our church. What establishing looks like for our season, for us to root down in a place like San Francisco, we need organizational health. We need to clearly define discipleship pathways. We need to clearly define a, a rule of life. I wasn't saying that language. Basically, that's what I meant. I was, that language wasn't ready to get out there yet, but like establishing a rule of life. And we need to get ourselves into a building, a place where we're rooted down. And Dale's wife, Lisa, was right next to him, and she leaned over to Dale and said, you can do all of that. You can help these people. And then Dale said, yes. And we said, we hope to do that in seven years. Dale's done it in four, and he's done now. So we're saying no. <laughs> all of these things, Dale has done. He's helped us get healthy as an organization. Our staff has been very, very, very healthy. He's helped us clear ways to get into discipleship pathways and get rule of life and get this up and going, embodied in our church. He helped us get into this building. He helped us move all this stuff. He helped us, he, he has done so much. And, um, and we believe this next move of, uh, that God's doing in his life isn't because we want him to go or necessarily he would even say he doesn't wanna go, but we both of us feel like this is the next obedient step for him to take. He is taking over his, his former church, Calvary Los Gatos, to be the lead pastor, senior pastor of this church. He's taking over this church and we get to send him. We're not just saying goodbye, we're sending him. We lay our, we're gonna lay our hands on him and say, Dale, we bless you and we send you to Calvary. Now, this is hard for us to do because I don't, you know, sometimes you don't want to send people. Most times, well, sometimes you want to send some people. <laughs> but I don't want to send Dale. Even just this last week, he was kind of out this, not, he, he was, he's officially done today, but he was gone this last week, out this last week, and I felt his presence gone. Before my paternity leave, I'm like, Dale, we're going to be fine. You, got, you set us up well, and this last week I felt like I couldn't breathe. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So obviously we need prayer. We need a lot of prayer that we find the right person um, to be executive director of our organization. This is very, very, very needed. Um, and yet, we believe that this is what, what Dale's called to do and to be. So uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to lay hands and pray for Dale and honor Dale. So would you please honor Dale? Uh, Dale, would you come up? Would you honor Dale? Thank you so much.
staff and elders, if you can come up right now. We're going to lay hands on Dale, and then I'm going to have Dale just share with us some parting words, and then we'll move into communion. Go ahead and, yeah, get around and lay hands. Sorry, I probably should have said that earlier. That was this awkward <laughs> walking thing where we're seeing Cameron walk slow. No. Um, let's lay hands on Dale. Would you extend a hand forward? I, this last week, I recorded a video for Calvary Los Gatos where um, I won't be a part of his um, commissioning service or his installation service next week because I'm going to be here. But, um, but I got to share a video where I'm like, we, Rialto San Francisco, are sending you, Dale. We're sending you to Calvary Los Gatos to be the, the, the pastor of that church. From us to you, we bless you and we send you. And that's what we're doing now. We're, we get to send you. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for Dale. We are different people because Dale was in our lives. And this is a common thing I hear from people who know Dale. We're different because of your impact in our lives. This is a legacy that you've, he's carried in his bones and his body. We thank you for who he is and how he showed up to our church, how he served self-sacrificially. Even at the cost of his physical person, he served this church. And we bless him. We say like, like Paul with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, we don't want you to go, but we know this is God's will. And we bless you. Pray that God would give you every gift that you need to fulfill your duty, that you would finish strong the race that's set before you. We bless you, Dale. Jesus Christ, thank you for our brother. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Well, now that I know the most important part of church is just the meet and greet, it makes the lead pastor job a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start with some words from Paul, then go into some thoughts that I had. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So my friends, my family, let me encourage you and exhort you with a few things. First thing is I encourage you to allow yourselves to be theologically and prayerfully patient. Our current world is not set up for any kind of enduring prayer that actually may take a lifetime to answer. But often those are some of the most important ones you can pray. And pray patience can feel uncomfortable to us because we assume that a compassionate God is somewhat obligated to respond to our requests and concerns immediately. But please remember that when there are times of pain, disappointment, and difficulty, it remains within us to deepen us, to bring us to new levels of trust, dependence, and perspective. It is in those moments we truly get to see God. And when we strive for all the answers without actually forming the character that can handle them, we can actually create a tragic and anxiety-filled existence. So be patient. Critique the immediate and hunger for the wise. 
being able to access certain things online like music and food seem like a good thing to do. But when we go online to express or search for our deepest needs and our hurts, there's nothing there. Bring those things to God. Bring those things to God's people and sit with them because they're the ones living day to day with you. Reality continue to be a place where doubters can embrace faith and the faithful can embrace their doubts. Because without these spaces, there'd be no reason for Jude to write, be merciful to those who doubt. That command in itself implies our need for one another. Pay attention to the access that God has within you. Don't allow that space to be filled with rhetoric or human opinion. He created you. He deserves his own space within you. Take each thought captive and diligently identify the things that do not have your best interest in mind. And as you look around and see the people in this church, I encourage you to lovingly seek out those who are older than you because they've experienced things that you haven't experienced. And compassionately seek out those who are younger than you because they're experiencing things right now that you did not experience. And curiously seek out those who think and live differently than you do because they're experiencing on our world, our world in ways that you don't and you actually need to. And everyone, patiently allow yourselves to be found by those who should be seeking you. And when we ask others, what do you see or what should I be thinking about? It is then that we will transition from people who say, this is what those people should do to, to this is what we should do. And finally, church, from Paul's letter in Ephesians, he writes, I pray that of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God bless you, I love you. And when I'm asked, are you excited to leave? No, but I'm obedient, and that's what God has called me to do. And if Dave invites me back sometime, I hope to be able to come. God bless you guys.